This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and tell a friend to help them find Out of Water also. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. My name is Sam Caston-Smith, and I will be your host today. Uh, joining me is Will Bushman, our Director of Student Ministries and Color Commentator and Bearded Overnight. We're back. Facial hair grower. Here we go. <laughs> you know, Mark always thought that that was amazing how quickly you grew facial hair. I know. He it was just dawned on me. Very. He was he obsessed was, with it. Yeah, it was. It was it a, little a little weird, but I liked it. <laughs> I mean, it was nice to always be reminded of my own facial hair. <laughs> All right. That's an odd intro. But today Here we, we are. are. <laughs> we are jumping into uh, Genesis 16 and 17. They're both fairly short chapters, but they're really important. And so if you remember, we're coming out of Genesis 15, which is this really incredible chapter where God is promising to Abraham, I am going to give you a son. I am going to make good on my promise. I am going to give your descendants this land. And Abraham's like, okay, I believe you, but can you help me with the how? <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> And God gives... This incredible vision where, you know, he alone is walking through the parted carcasses, which if you remember, it's him saying, I am willing to die to make good on my promise. And so that is the the beautiful section of Genesis 15, where you have God telling Abraham, you can trust me. My life here is at stake. I My promise is so secure. And so then you get to 16 and Abraham he's still not sure. <laughs> he's still trying to hedge his bets and come up with plan B. Um, he's and, doing more than that in this chapter. Yeah. He's I doing, mean, that was a very nice way to say what he's about to do. <laughs> yeah. So what's crazy about this is, well, well, we'll get to this chapter here in a minute, but what he's doing is very normal for this time period. So we read it and what's going to happen in this. And it's like, what in the world? Totally normal. I don't know. Surrogacy is kind of in right now. Yeah, but this is a little more than surrogacy. <laughs> like, let's, let's just be honest here. That was All right. be downplaying it. <laughs> All right. So Genesis 16, verse 1, jumping right in. It says, now Sarai, and we're, we're going to change names today. Sarai is Sarah. So depending on whatever we say, just know it's that person. So Sarai, uh, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. And notice, like, she totally understands that this is her, her childbearing is entirely in the Lord's hands. And so you can kind of hear some hurt there. Like, I, when I read it, it's like, the Lord has kept me from having children. Um, you know, she's coming out of a pagan culture. She grew up, you know, with Nana, remember? And now she recognizes, she's not saying Nana kept me from having children. She believes that God is sovereign over all things. And she's laying her barrenness now at his feet, saying, you control this alone. You haven't given me children. Even though you gave me the promise, you kept me from having children. So now she looks at her husband and says, go sleep with my maidservant, Hagar. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And that's wild, right? So, and, and there's a couple of things going on in this particular passage. First off, she has an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So that beckons back to Genesis chapter 12, if you remember. Where did where did they get this Egyptian maidservant? This is when Pharaoh kicked him out and was like, just take everything and go. Just <laughs> That's get right. out of my house. Take what you want. I don't want it back. That's right. So the first time that Abram, if you remember, when he betrays Sarah and says, you know, tell them you're my sister because if, if you say you're my wife, they might kill me because you're so beautiful. And he allows Pharaoh to take her into the harem, and it says that Pharaoh is rewarding Abram for giving his sister, and he's getting camels and donkeys and all kinds of livestock. And it also says, and he gave him male servants and female servants. And so all of a sudden, in Genesis 16, she has an Egyptian maidservant. So this is one of the gifts that they received when Abraham's faith 
faltered earlier. And this gets back to that, you know, there's there's a truth that God's grace and forgiveness is available to us. It comes to us and in his eyes, we are wiped clean and our sin is forgiven in his eyes, but sin always has consequences, right? And so here in Genesis 16, God has forgiven Abraham, clean slate, mercies new every morning, and yet we find a consequence for Abram's sin is that there's this Egyptian maidservant in the picture that's going to really be uh, a point of contention and hurt and heartbreak in their marriage. And it kind of, I mean, it's going to come up and say Abram agreed to what Sarah said. It, it almost likens me back to the garden when mm-hmm. you know Eve, Adam had Good. the chance to stop this. Like he had the chance to be like, no, we're not, I'm not doing that. And Abram has a chance here. So he even's like, all right, I'm in. Yeah. You know, yeah. he's not just a passenger on the ship. He's also saying, mm-hmm. okay, I agree with this. We need to do this. So also his lack of trust in God shines through. Yeah. And you see like the, the nature of the way that God creates everything, even from the beginning, he is a, a God of monogamous marriage. You see that very clearly from the beginning. And every time you see polygamy or or this kind of situation where a maidservant is given for childbearing, it always breeds chaos and contempt, and it's never the design that brings flourishing and health. <laughs> you know, like I mean, sister wives is not. Yeah, what sister we wives. Be after it, it, that's correct. Okay. That's it's probably it's not the know. best model, but it's totally normal at this particular point in the history of the world. This was very common. Yeah, because a lot of people point back to the Old Testament at that nowadays and be like, hey, look at all these patriarchs. Look at all these biblical characters. Look at these guys mm-hmm. that were all about God, but also multiple wives, all <laughs> these things going on. So that is a cultural part which they took on. Yeah, completely. Okay. So one of the oldest legal codes, if not the oldest, I can't remember right now, but it's the Code of Hammurabi. And uh-huh. Hammurabi is the king of Babylon. So you got to remember... Babylon is located right between Ur and Haran. So it's it's like right where Abram grew up. So this is the culture that's going to be codified in Hammurabi's code. And I, I'm going to read to you just a couple of the laws. So try not to, to, to fall asleep, but I'm going to read to you a Dead couple focused. of them. Just so you have this in your mental background. Ready? So this is law 170 of Hammurabi's code. If a man has had children born to him by his wife... And also a maidservant. If the father says, my sons, to the children of the maid that was born to him, then after the father has gone to his fate, the children of the wife and the maidservant shall share equally. And so Hammurabi is just, it's it's like, okay, well, you're going to have children with your maidservants. Like, of course you are. That's just the way the culture went. There's other legal codes also. And by the way, the next one, 171, says that if the father does not say my sons to both the children of his wife and maidservant, then the maidservant at at the father's death is to be free. She goes, she can't be a slave anymore. She's to take her and her children, and they have absolute freedom, and they're to leave the home without remaining slaves. They're set free. So in the old laws, the newsy tablets, all these ancient things that we have found with ancient laws, they're all presupposing that if a man marries a woman and she's unable to have children, by law it's prescribed hmm. that you are free to have children with those of your household, including maidservants. So so this is normal. Okay. Abram is following the culture and the law of the land, not the law of God. And he gets into problems because he's following what's normal for the day, culturally, and not what's designed by God and sacred. He doesn't trust God to give a child. That's the problem. And you'll find this isn't, Abraham's life is plagued by plan Bs. I mean, so remember when he's called from Haran? Who does he bring with him? You remember? Lot. Lot. Who's Lot? Well, Lot is the son of his brother. It's a nephew, but it's also Abram's way of saying, well, you know, it's my God has promised me children, but I'm going to bring Lot as kind of the plan B safety valve. He'll he'll be the one who inherits everything, but then Lot bails and gets excited about all the, you know, his own wealth. So he goes away to the land of Sodom. And then what does Abraham do? He's like, well, now it's going to be Eliezer of Damascus, my servant, who is going to inherit everything. And God comes and says, come on, Abram, we've been through this. I'm going to give you a son, right? So let me triple down on this promise. 
I'm going to give you a son. And he's like, okay, okay, I believe. And then the next chapter, he's like, well, maybe we should take Hagar and we're going to have a son through her. And it's like, he's so by the time you get to Isaac, <laughs> you know, you've had Lot, you've had Eliezer of Damascus, you've had Ishmael, we'll see shortly. And it's then God brings about Isaac. But Abram's hedging his bets all along the way. And I was, I was joking around with our pastors, like if this if this is the man of faith, if this is the champion of faith, and God is constantly having to disabuse him of all of his plan Bs, <laughs> this is a man of faith we can relate to, right? Yep. God's always having to peel our fingers off of our plan Bs and say, no, 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 remember my promise. Let go of that. Let go of that. That's not what I want for you. Peel the fingers open. Trust my plan A. Stop trying to build plan B, C, D. Trust me. And it's hard. Yeah, and in all that, God's promise isn't changing. Yeah, you know, which is amazing. You know, He's not looking at Abram and being like, "Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna change this a little bit now." I've seen how you've been acting. I've seen how you've been <laughs> trusting. We're just gonna edit this a little bit, and it's not gonna be maybe exactly mm-hmm. what I said at first. No, every single time, it's the same. It's the same. It's the same. It's good. Yeah. So what's what's the story telling you? Abraham is vacillating all over the place. God never does. So it's not your faithfulness you hope in. Abraham shows us that. It's God's faithfulness. In the middle of all of our stumbles and stupidity, he stays faithful to his promise. Thank, <laughs> thank God. So, but, but I think that's right. You know, you ha- you're mentioned that this is a lot like Adam and Eve. You, you basically have Sarah saying, hey, you know, let's, let's fix this ourselves. You go take that and have children. Yeah. And they're, okay. <laughs> you know. Just he, passive. Just yeah. like, all right. He fails to lead. And in doing so, he's failing to shepherd the wife his the the heart of his wife and i think like in our culture like part of this that's even more gross is you have a, a servant maid servant who has no power no authority no equality you know you don't know is there consent here all that is left up into the imagination because in the ancient world it was just kind of seen like you're you belong right yeah. and so abram just comes to hagar and says, okay, like we're, we're going to have children. And so you have a man who is not shepherding the hearts of those around him who says, you know what? I could see how this is going to wreck your heart down the road, Sarah, but whatever. I, I'm not going to have the conviction to stand righteously. And I could also see how this will harm Hagar. But you know what? It's the culture. Yeah. So I'm just going to drift right along with the culture, even though it's breeding destruction. So anyway, so Abram agreed to what Sarah said. And so after Abram had been living in Canaan for 10 years, so we're now at the 10-year mark and God has still not brought a child, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. And that was one of the things that, if you go back to all the ancient laws, they were to be treated equally as a right as a wife with all the same stations and rights, which weren't many in the ancient world for a woman, but they could still be treated as a slave. So she remained in her, her status as a servant of the household, but was treated as kind of a wife or wife light. I don't know how you would say that. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. So like right out of the gates, you can imagine how heartbreaking this is for Sarah, who's spent decades upon decades wanting this. And she gives Hagar and right away she conceives. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. And that's, that's no accident, you know. Um, again, the Bible is telling you polygamy is no, it's not w- optimal. It's not God's design. You're made to be with one another. You're made to be a sanctuary for one another. You're made to have fidelity to one another. And immediately... This causes contempt between the two, which is entirely predictable. That's and by the way, I don't even know if that's necessarily sinful. You're designed to be jealous for one another, mm. just as God is jealous for His people because He loves them so much and wants their heart. A husband is supposed to have, in some sense, a a godly sense of jealousy for his wife, and vice versa. You know, if Laura came home today and said. Hey, I uh, I cheated on you with a guy down the road, and I said oh, okay, and and had no jealousy. <laughs> I mean, there's no love there, right? Yeah. Jealousy in in the biblical sense of the word, where it's honoring a covenant and wanting mm. the best of somebody, 
and to be secure in their love. Like that's, that's not unhealthy. You want the fidelity of your husband or wife. And here you see both of these women animosity right away. Not a surprise. So verse five, it said, then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. Why are you laughing? Well, I mean, he's not wrong, but you know, <laughs> she's not wrong. But like Abram at this point, it's like, well, again, you told me to do this. <laughs> he, this is like sitcom. Like, yeah. you know, you just picture Abram going with us like, wait, what? Hold on a minute. You're yeah. the one who came up you with this idea. this idea. But again, so now because they've left the design of what God has for marriage, there's animosity between these two women, and there's animosity now between Abram and Sarah. Um, resentment, hurt. She says, I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. And then she says, may the Lord judge between you and me. And it was like, ooh, like this is, this is for real. Yeah. This is, this is, they need some marital counseling at this point. Um, and so Abram says, so he's, he takes the cowardly way out. Like he is such a, you know, he goes with the 318 men to go war against the, the empires of the North, but he'll, he won't die for Sarah. He won't, you know, with, with Pharaoh. Then here again, you see like just jellyfish spine where she's like, you know, I'm heartbroken. You did this to me. And Abram's answer is, Hey, the servants in your hands, do whatever you think, do to her, whatever you think is best. And it's like, so in other words, don't make me make a decision. Don't put this on me. I'm throwing this entire problem back on you. You figure it out. Yeah. And once again, he leaves Hagar, this relatively innocent Egyptian maidservant who didn't ask for any of this. Mm, yeah. He says, yeah, just go ahead and mistreat her. I don't want the problem. <laughs> you know, Don't bring your anger on me. Let it vent all over her. And it's like, dude, gross. Like, grow a spine. Yeah, he's not helping how he looks in this. No. Like, at every turn, he doubles down the wrong decision. Yeah, and like I said, we've talked about this before. Like, you, Abraham's life and every one of the patriarchs, and for the fact of the matter, most people in the Bible, you go from being like, this guy's awesome, to, ooh, is, is he even saved? <laughs> like, is, is this guy going to be in heaven? To, oh, he's awesome again. And then, oh, and again, Abraham's not our hero. And yeah. the story God is, but have some sympathy for Abraham because this is also you. Like, let's, let's just be honest. We go from honorable moments to shameful moments to honorable moments to shameful moments. And the Bible is giving us a very real picture of what humanity's like. And it's honest. It doesn't hide the warts. It doesn't come to us with a holy book saying, oh, your people, oh, they always do the right thing. Yeah. Oh, no, that's what well, we know better. <laughs> like we know ourselves. That doesn't work. We, we've been in the church. We see how upside down and messy it is. Well, this is us right here. And yet God is faithful to the messy people, which is really wonderful. So Abraham does the cowardly thing. Do to with her whatever you think is best. And then Sarah mistreated Hagar. And so she fled from her. So you got Sarah who just really comes down on her. And Hagar's like, I can't take this. This abuse is so bad that I'm out. And so it's so bad. Like in verse seven, it says the angel of the Lord. Now in the scriptures, this is always the Lord. Okay. The angel of the Lord is God himself, probably Jesus and okay. in angelic form. So, and you remember uh, the angel of the Lord is God who speaks from the burning bush and says, my name is I am, right? So it's identified as the angel of the Lord, yet it's the angel of the Lord saying, I am. Mm. So this is, this is God. Okay. And so God, in his mercy, because remember, I love how Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 mistreats Sarah. Who is it that chases into the mix and tries to rescue Sarah? It's God who comes and and brings plagues on Pharaoh's houses to protect Sarah against Abram being a lousy husband. And now you have the angel of the Lord who sees this poor Egyptian maidservant that's being so mistreated that she actually flees into the desert, which seems like a death sentence, right? The angel of the Lord chases after her and found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. So she's on her way home. 
she's like, I'm, I'm going to see if I can make it back to Egypt on my own, which is very unlikely that she would have survived that trip apart from some divine intervention. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai. Notice what he does there. He still says, you're the servant of Sarai. Like mm-hmm. you're, you still belong in this household. You're not, I'm not, they're not done. Like you're not, your role there is not done yet. So Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And the Lord loves to ask those questions, right? Like, where are you? He knows. Where are you going? It's, 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 it's an introspective question. He's, you know, he's calling you to, to say, what am I doing? What, what is my past? What's my future? And she says, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord told her, look, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, same promise that Abraham got. That's right. So God comes to, and we're going to see later on down the road, the promises get almost identical. Hmm. The promises that God will give to Hagar are almost identical to all of the promises that he's given to Abraham with one exception. The salvation of the world is going to come through Abraham. God's going to make great nations through Hagar. He's going to give her children. He's going to give them a land. He's going to give them all these things, but the nations of the earth are not going to be blessed through Hagar. Big difference. Yeah, because now we have two parallel roads with these two children, but very different ends. That's right. So you're going to have Isaac that will be born of Sarah, and you're going to have Ishmael born of Hagar. Both receive almost identical promises with one very radical exception. The angel is is comforting her. Hey, like I know Abraham, who's the father figure here. He's a mess. Like he's not he's not protecting you. He's not serving you. He's not looking out for you. Your your mistress isn't looking out for you. I'm going to look out for you. I need you to trust me. I've got you, Hagar. And so she says, I will so incre-, he says, I will so increase your descendants. They'll be too numerous to count. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, Now you are you're with child. And you will have a son, and you will name him Ishmael, which would have been really, really precious to hear because that name, Ishmael, means God hears. Hmm. Um, my name is actually a derivative of this, where Samuel, you can hear it, Ishamuel, right? It is there, it's even there. if it doesn't. <laughs> you're giving me the, I don't know. <laughs> it's not like they're there. But that, that is yeah. there. My name is God heard. So it's the same meaning the, the from the Hebrew. But it's saying, like, I heard you. Hmm. When you were out there desperate, calling in the wilderness, and you felt like everybody had forsaken you, I came running. I saw you. I heard you, which is precious that he says, and I want you to call your son God hears because I heard you, and I don't want you to forget it when you're forsaken. For the Lord had heard of your misery. He will be talking about Ishmael. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and his and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all of his brothers. And so, yeah, not what you want to hear about your child. <laughs> no? No, I don't this, think so. This is, this is no good? I don't think that's the prediction you want. The wild donkey is actually a specific species of donkey. It, it, which For real? It, it really is. Look it up. So it's a, and this donkey is known to be, they live in isolation. And when things get near their territory, they get really aggressive. So this is like an actual species. They have them in our zoos here. We need a third person here to Google things you say sometimes. All right. Just well, to trust it. No, hey, I we can it. edit. No, we'll pause. No, no, look it up. No, you keep going. No, you're going to no, look it up. I, don't, I trust I you. want you to affirm this. Nope. Station break. Will is looking this up on Google. You're right. There are three main types of donkeys, wild, feral, and domesticated. Okay, so keep going. So the wild donkey, what's its attributes? The African wild, says a different word, donkey. You're allowed to say it. I can say ass on this? It's a donkey. Okay, the African wild ass, or African wild donkey, is a wild member of the horse family Equidae. Very agile, nimble. Oh, mature males defend large territories around 23 square kilometers in size, making... Marking them with dung heaps, an essential marker in flat, monotonous terrain. Due to the size of these ranges, the dominant male cannot exclude other males. Rather, intruders are treated as subordinates and kept as far away f- as possible from any of the resident females. All right. Well, here, so here's an, an article 
from a zoo. It says the Asiatic wild ass is truly feral and doesn't tolerate the presence of people. They're also, this is now my wording, they're also extremely aggressive against any other donkeys that come near their females. And so they're known for being violent and very territorial. So again, not what you want your son to be described as. Definitely not what you want your son to be described as. Though in the ancient world, see, we're, we live in different cultures. So if I was described, if I went into the ancient world and I said he's going to have a massive swatch of territory, he's going to be a skilled warrior, and he is not going to tolerate dissent, and he will protect his females. I mean, that's that's yeah. also part of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So he's a. A wild ass of a man, which is just a great insult, <laughs> but I don't know that it's intended to be that. But he's going to his hand is going to be against everyone. You, you're not going to be get you're not going to get near his home without a fight. That's essentially okay. what it's saying. Very territorial. He will live in hostility toward all his brothers. Okay, that was a long. <laughs> we got off track. <laughs> we got off track. It was good. It was a good off track. So verse thirteen, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. So now she so she's looking back at. Jesus, the angel of the Lord. Okay. And she says, you are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And that is why the well was called Be'er Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son he had born. Abram was 86 years old mm. when Hagar bore him Ishmael. And so 14 years later, you get Isaac just for understanding timeline um sarah and abram are gonna have to wait 25 years wow um and another 14 years after this point um so ishmael will be 14 when isaac's born but i love that going back to the fact that hagar looks at the lord and says you are the god who sees me right and then she faithfully carries out, you know, you told me to name him Ishmael. I'm going to name him Ishmael. I'm going to claim the promises you've given. So guess what? Like you, I believe you will see Hagar in heaven, even though like Galatians four is going to treat, you know, the covenant toward Hagar as a covenant of works. It's not a good thing. Abram should not have entered into a covenant with her. And yet God was kind to her. And I believe she shows faith here. She certainly shows worship and, and reverence toward the Lord. Yeah. Who sees her? And it's she's probably never been seen in her life, if you think about just mm-hmm. her trajectory so far in this life. Yeah. I mean, she was a servant in Pharaoh's household, and Pharaoh just sold her. St- yeah, just didn't even get any money. You know, just, just <laughs> true. kicked her right out the door mm-hmm. with this guy who he wanted out the door, and then all of a sudden she becomes just another one and then gets picked for this and just gets yeah. mistreated and abused. And Yeah, do with her whatever you want. Yeah. And yeah. so now finally God sees her. Which is yeah. beautiful. I mean, the bad side of this is she is showing real resentment toward Sarah, which I would imagine I would get too. Because remember, Sarah's the one who was like, just take her, you know, have a child with her. She's, you know, it's like, does she have a say in this? You know, where's her dignity? Like everybody who's around her has just been using her. Mm-hmm. She's a very sympathetic character in this. Yeah. And when, when we see, because she'll get sent away again, and this time with the Lord's blessing and the Lord's protection, um, she be, she's a very sympathetic character, and you very clearly get the impression that the Lord loves her and cares for her. So now God comes to Abram, and he says, okay, this is how I want you and all of my people to be set apart, and it's the covenant of circumcision. All right, so Genesis 17, verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old, so they were right on the doorsteps, we're 13 years after mm-hmm. Ishmael was born. We're not told much about his childhood, but all of a sudden, fast forward, and now he's a teenager. He's entering in the age of adulthood in the ancient world. Abram's 99 years old, and the Lord appears to him and says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. And so, What I want you to do, because we read right through this so quickly and we don't stop to imagine, if you're Sarah, what are you thinking? 13 years have passed. Before this, God was always like, hey, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a son. Every time Abram dropped the ball, God comes back and says, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a son. Mm -hmm. But now Ishmael's come into the picture. The whole purpose of that was, hey, God will use Ishmael. He's going to be the covenant child. 
Hagar's come back. He's growing up. Ishmael's 13 years old. He's coming to the age of adulthood. Now it's time where the father is going to like bestow blessings upon the children and, and start gearing them up for something. If you're Sarah, you've been living with the devastating heartache that this promise that you received when you left your homeland originally yeah. is now gone from you. Mm-hmm. Now the story is going to be Abram and Hagar and Ishmael. And you got to imagine Sarah's just heartbroken in this. So let this play out, right? Because God's promise hasn't changed, but their plans had And so he says, I will confirm my covenant. And so Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. You will be called Abraham. And so the difference is Abram, the name means exalted father. Abraham means the father of many nations. And so exalted father could be the father of one, right? But God is saying, like, no, no, no. Your, your birthright, your, your name was too small. You're going to be the father of many nations. You're going to be exalted by many. For I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. Kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting, never-ending covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God, the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Notice he doesn't come back and say, hey, Sarah's going to have a child. So if you're Sarah, who are these promises to? Ishmael. Yeah, you got to be doubting. You got to be wondering, as if, did I lose out when I said that? Like, is God just never going to give me a child? Mm. Then God said to Abram, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep, every male among you shall be circumcised. You're to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who's eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your house or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant and your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He's broken my covenant. And so here... You, and you got to imagine, remember, Abraham has a sizable household. And he's 99. And he's 99. <laughs> like, what a change at 99. That, that makes it a little harder. To, like, I didn't think about that. Part. Yeah, like, you're you're like hope, like the eight-day-old thing. You're like, wow, I wish we'd go back to that. Because at 99, you're like, this is going to be different. <laughs> and he's got, you know, when he went to war against the, he had 318 men. Who knows how many yeah, now, yeah. right? So imagine that staff meeting. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, guys, bring it in here. I got something to tell you. Yeah, and they do, right? So he brings them all in, and he says, all right, so God has come, and he has said, anybody in my household needs to be circumcised to show our fidelity to the covenant that he has made with us. And so that's going to be the sign that you're part of our community of faith is you're going to be circumcised. And that so this all begs the question, like God can do whatever he wants to do, but why circumcision? Like, why not like an ear piercing or, or like put this piece of jewelry on, like wear this ring, this bracelet, (laughs) (laughs) but circumcision. Um, Why? Yeah. I'm not answering that. (laughs) Why not? Why not? No. So we're, we're given some clues, different places throughout the Bible for the first part. It's, it's a bloody thing, right? Mm -hmm. So remember when God first enters in, first creates the relationship, the first marriage, even though Adam had done nothing wrong. God puts him into a sleep and wounds him, and from that bloody wound, he makes a bride, and it's this beautiful covenant of marriage that comes from a wounding. So that's that's step one, is to be in this relationship, you have to understand that it comes from a place of sacrificial love. You're giving your life. You're laying it down, and you're saying, I'm yours, even if it means being wounded, I'm yours. And so circumcision for the, the start of that requires a sacrifice. I mean, for an eight-day-old, you're not going to remember it. You know, it's unpleasant for the for the adult and the converts. When people come out of Egypt, 
they're going to be circumcised as adults. Like the, so this was like an adult conversion thing too. Yeah. You had to mean it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you had to really want to be in this community of faith to be a part of it. So that's one. There's also this idea like the shedding of blood that's involved in covenants, their sacrifices, the you know, our covenant with Christ and and through Christ is comes through the shedding of blood. Like so you find that element of it. Um there's also it's a cleanliness thing. Uh, believe it or not, like so many studies have been done that have found that men who are not circumcised have far greater likelihoods for particular diseases and their wives with whom they're having sex are susceptible to far greater prevalence of cancers, cervical cancer, ovarian cancer, just because of the the lack of hygiene and, and the more filth and dirt and gross like Will's faces. <laughs> Didn't think we would get here today. <laughs> You're, you're welcome. Um, but they've also done some studies, and this is really kind of cool. Your body produces something called like prothrombin, I think it's called, but it's like a byproduct of vitamin K that causes blood clotting and healing. You know when it is at its highest level in your entire life? Eight days old. Eight days old. You, you come out low, you peak on day eight, and then it goes back to normal for the rest of your life at normal levels. And so on the eighth day, your body is designed to have blood clotting agents at their highest level, and God comes forth and says, yeah, let's do that on the eighth day, which I just think is pretty pretty cool. Non-coincidental, right? Yeah, God knows. Yeah. God knows. Um, but beyond that, this is now a reminder to you for the rest of your life, right? So in a world where – that made me want to do the movie thing. In, in a world. world. Yeah. In a world where like fertility and future generations and all that stuff is like at the heart of it. Remember God's promises, your descendants, your descendants, the salvation of the world is coming through your descendants. I'm going to give this land to your descendants. And so now the covenant comes on the part of your body that brings forth the future descendants, right? And so it's, it's this covenant's not just for you, Abraham. It's on the part of your body that is to remind you hmm. of every future son and daughter that you ever have. And it's also on the part of your body that is the most appetitively driven. So now we're getting, we're, we're really going there. Here. So now every time that you want to do something, which in the ancient world, like your appetites are driven you to go to shrine prostitutes or to cheat on your wife or whatever. Now the part of your body that's associated with the, the most appetitive behavior in the human male is marked. You're to be set apart. You're to be different. So, like when you stop, and there's a whole lot there. There's so many different reasons that you, if you stop and just kind of think, hmm, I wonder, I wonder why else. Like there's a lot of reasons why God made this the particular covenant. So the, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control put out a study on circumcision, and this is a direct quote from their, their paper. It says, scientific evidence is clear that the benefits of circumcision far outweigh the risks. And then it goes on and it says, Uh, that societies with higher rates of circumcision have dramatically lower rates of urinary tract infections, sexually transmitted infections, penile and cervical cancers. So you look around and it's like less disease. So there's, there's some medical benefits to it too. Like for your own good, you should be circumcised. Now there's like, you see these people crusading and campaigning against circumcision. Yeah. Right on Broward Boulevard sometimes. Oh really? I Mm -hmm. haven't seen them. You haven't seen them? Yeah, but th- it's actually good for you. It's medically beneficial in addition to being the, the Old Testament covenant. Yeah, we had a guy with a guitar at FSU. Was, Singing about circumcision? Yeah, about the harms of it. <laughs> yeah, it was confusing to walk to class and be a part of that. I want to hear this song. Yeah, I don't remember. I may or may not be on YouTube trying to yeah, find guitar this guy's was, the guitar, t- the guitar circumcision was song. He <laughs> made it weirder. Like, just have a sign imagine. like the rest of them. Like what was in the song? Like the lyrics were getting at what? I don't know. That was just keep those kind. When those people, all types of people would come and protest things or campaign things at FSU. And you'd always, you just keep your headphones on and walk fast. Cause you never want to enter into a conversation. My brain right now is going through trying to create lyrics. Yeah. You shouldn't. Yeah. We should stop that <laughs> imaginary. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Pause Mo- moving right along. So, so anyway, circumcision, very important, very precious, very personal, and it was it was a very public sign for every time that you went to procreate. It showed who you belonged to. Um, so, 
God comes along in verse 15 after all of this, the covenant of circumcision. He says, God also said to Abram, as for Sarah, your wife, you're no longer to call her Sarah. Now, this is after 13 years of wandering. Hmm. Get this. He says, you're no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. Now, Sarai, it means my princess, right? It's, it's a possessive kind of an idea, and Sarai means princess. And so it's saying you're, you're royalty, right? Hmm. But it's possessive. It's my princess. And so he changes her name and says her name will be Sarah, which does not have that possessive sense. Now it's everybody's princess, which means her royalty is not just going to be for you, Abraham. Now her royalty and her reputation and her glory and exalted status belongs to the nations. So the same thing that he does for Abram when he says you're going to go from being exalted father Abram to father of many nations, Abraham, is the same kind of an idea behind what he's doing with Sarai here. You're not just Abraham's princess. Now you're royalty to the nations. He expands what her name means to everyone. And this is the first time that you'd be thinking, okay, this is just... This is me now being a part of this. Mm-hmm. Not just is God going to bring many nations through Abraham and maybe through Hagar and all these other people, but no, I'm part of this right now. It's been said. Yeah. And well, he's coming back. Like, I think Sarah would have from the beginning been like, is he serious? Like me, me, yeah. am I really part of this? But now in Genesis 17, when he makes this statement, he's saying, Hey, this is not just a story about Abraham. Yeah. This is you, Sarah. You are precious and pivotal and important to the story. You are the one through whom my promise is coming. And he takes her, which you, I really try to imagine being in her mind for all these years, like neglected, like, yeah. you know, you'd, you'd feel like God has passed me over. And so when he honors Abraham with the name change, and then he comes and honors her with a name change, it's like me, like I'm part of the story still, even after all this and Hagar and Ishmael and me, you're still going to do something with me. It's pretty cool. Um, I love his tenderness in doing that. And I try to imagine what she must have been thinking after all those years. Uh, But Abram fell face down and he laughed. (laughs) Way Way to go, bud. Yeah. This guy seriously needs some some husband and tips. just timing. He just has poor timing all the time. <laughs> That's awesome. Abram fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, "Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah?" I mean, he looks over. He gets her name right though. He does. He does okay, stop calling her Sarah. He says, "Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And I mean, he's almost like dismissive of God's power to do this through him or her. Um. And then listen to what Abram says, because or Abraham, because it's like, ouch. He says, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Like he's become attached to Ishmael. He's he's good with the idea that God's blessing is going to come through him. It's his boy. He's 13. Like, yeah. this is this is my guy. And now all of a sudden you're telling me I'm going to have another son through through her? She's she's 90. Like, really? You think she's going to have a son at 90? Like, just, just let Ishmael hey, we got have one already, it. Yeah. And so... Again, how would Sarah have heard that? Like, not good. Come on, Abraham. Like, he's not crushing. Come on, (laughs) he is not crushing this. That's a good. That's an understatement. So, verse nineteen. Then God says, "Yes." Notice that he doesn't say, "No, Ishmael's not living under my blessing." He says, "Yes," which is again God's mercy to Hagar and to Ishmael. Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear a son, and you will call him Isaac, which is laughter, like God's throwing it back in Abram's face. Like, watch this. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And there it is. Like this is going, Ishmael's going to get my blessing. He's going to become a great nation, but the everlasting covenant is going to come through Isaac. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. I will surely bless him. I'll make him fruitful and I will greatly increase his numbers. He'll be the father of 12 rulers. Hear that? Because Isaac will have Jacob, who is the father of 12 tribes, right? So he's going to be the father of 12 rulers and I'll make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. Way to go, God. He's just... He's building Hagar up, and he's defending her, and he's showing mercy to her and to Ishmael, and he's showing mercy and dignity to Sarah, despite the fact that they're all messes. He's showing kindness and blessing, just overflowing to all of them. It's just really rich and beautiful. 
Um, when he had finished speaking with Abram, God went up from him. On that very day, Abram took his son Ishmael and all those born in his house and bought with his money every male in his household and circumcised them as God told him. So there's obedience here. He's, he appreciates this covenant. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13. By the way, he takes Ishmael, will have the mark of the covenant, even though it doesn't mean much to him. We get the impression later on like he's he kind of goes and does his own thing, which means you can bear the mark of the covenant, you can be in mm. the church, and even though you have the blessing of being part of the community, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have saving faith. So, and Paul will make that point in the New Testament. Abram and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that same day, and every male in Abram's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. This is this is a big day for his community. <laughs> Monumental day. I'm imagining there's lots of lots of jokes and I'm glad the Bible, you know, sometimes the curtness of the Bible, you're like, oh, give us more. But this one I'm like, that was enough. good. <laughs> Got the point. Maybe Ishmael. 13 may be the worst. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's not going to go down well with the, the neighborhood. No. You know, the, Mid- the tribe one town over. Tough day in middle school. <laughs> yeah. So here you see, I mean, this chapter, we read by it all the time, but God is promising to bless Ishmael. And if you know what we, you know, the, the trajectory and the lineage of Ishmael, there's lots of people that trace their lineage back to him, lots of Arabs, and and the most notable, Muhammad, who is the founder of Islam, will trace himself back to Ishmael. And so you get a lot of people who want to say, and I want to I warn people not to do this, but I've heard it taught before, is like, why would God do this if it's just leading to to hmm. people that now overwhelmingly worship, you know, Islam and Allah, and it led to Muhammad? Is this line a curse? And I want to say, no, stop. Like there are parts of this that are going to produce animosity, and the descendants of Ishmael and Isaac will be at war for many, many generations to come. But there are so many redeemed redeemed descendants of Ishmael. There are millions, millions of descendants of Ishmael who we will see in heaven because God absolutely loves these descendants. And we are to give thanks to God for his mercy to Hagar and to Ishmael. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not a fan of Islam. Don't like Islam. I think it's a, it's a, it's certainly a false religion and it's led to a lot of evil and oppression in the world, I believe. And yet, God has called millions Mm, of Ishmael's descendants to himself who will be in heaven with us. I've only ever heard it taught like Ishmael's a curse brought out of the world. Mm -hmm. Like that's where we get Islam. That's where we get all this destruction. You know, it's two very different roads. But that's not obviously not how the text reads, which is wild. I think some people be like, oh, I've never heard that before. Who was our uh, Israel guy? Oh, yeah. What was his name? When is it? Was it Ishmael? No. His name was blah, blah, blah. Abraham. No. Maybe. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was Abraham. I, no, I don't. It was A. Ibrahim. No. That's Abraham. He said it differently, though. <laughs> That's just the American. Call Tom Hendricks. Hey. Hey, real quick question. We're recording our podcast. What yeah. was what was the name of our Palestinian tour guide when we went to Ibrahim with an I? Ibrahim. Told you. Okay, yeah. well that's Abraham. It's the same thing. Okay, Will and I are debating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he even told us to call him Abraham. Remember, but we were sad yeah. about his name, right? So we we went with the real thing. Okay. Yeah, Abraham. It, Will's just being disobedient. <laughs> it was Ibrahim. <laughs> well, he's sleep deprived. Yeah. <laughs> I was right. We're about to mention him on our podcast, but we wanted to make sure we got his name right. Yeah, I love that guy, man. Oh, he's so good. That's cool. All right, cool. All right, have fun. Bye. Thanks. He was our, he was Palestinian, Mm -hmm. right? So in the Arab world, and he was a Palestinian Christian, lives in Bethlehem, but he was amazing. So it's interesting, you know, he being of the Ishmaelite descent, whose name is Abraham, 
is somebody who worships Jesus, you know? And so... Yeah, he really brings this talk full circle. That's right. Like, we have a guy whose name is Abraham living in Palestine, in Bethlehem, of all places, that believes in Jesus. Yeah, from the line of Ishmael. From the line of Ishmael. So there you go. You want to know why God allowed that to happen? Ibrahim. Ibrahim. There you go. Awesome guy. Love that dude. He was fun. So a quick look, because now I I was curious how many Arabs in the Middle East consider themselves to be Christians. And they put that number between 10 and 15 million. And so when you ask, why does God allow this to happen? Hmm. Well, there's 10 or 15 million reasons why. And that's just right now. souls that he loves. And that's just living right now. Yeah, yeah so right. I think historically. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. All right. So all that to say, again, as we get through another couple of chapters, God is so good. He is so kind. He is so faithful. He can take our mess and our faithlessness and our disobedience, and he weaves it together, Hmm. and he just pours blessing upon blessing upon everybody who will come to him. And I love the fact that even Hagar, you know, to to go to the, the most abused, the most neglected, the most mistreated, to chase after her, to give her. By the way, she is the very first person in all of Scripture. I forgot to mention this. To whom the angel of the Lord appears. Did you know that? No. First time. Huh. It's chasing after Hagar. And that's just his nature. He chases after those that are downtrodden, cast out, left out, hated, despised. And he goes to her, and for the first time she's like, you see me. Mm. You've heard me. And that's his nature. That's the God. And he sees Abraham, and he sees Sarah, and he sees Hagar, and he sees Ishmael, and he sees Isaac, and he sees you. He's good. Thank you for joining us today. It was a lot of fun. Really enjoying going through the life of Abraham. I really like this guy. Uh, even with all of his warts and flaws and everything else. Like he just he really does grab hold of God, you know, and, and all the stumbles and everything else. And God stays faithful. So join us next week as we jump into Genesis chapter 18. And maybe 19, we're going to get into God coming to Abraham to really drill home the promise that he's bringing forth the son, and then the story of Sodom, which is really fascinating um, and sobering. I'll Mm. just say that. We will see you next week. Have a great week. God bless. We hope you enjoyed your time with us, and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.